Welcome to In Their Voice, an audiobook club podcast from Chirp dedicated to the most profound human stories, narrated by the people who live them. I'm Caleb Gotthart, an editor at Chirp Books, and I'm joined by my colleague and fellow editor, Meredith Peterson. Every month, we're picking an audiobook memoir that highlights a remarkable life and discussing what spoke to us, what challenged us, and what inspired us. If you like us, love to listen to stories from remarkable people telling their life stories, especially when we get to hear that story in their own voice, we'd love to have you join us. So here's how it works. First, visit chirpbooks.com slash in their voice, where you'll see a chance to follow our book club. If you click that follow button, you'll be signed up to receive monthly email updates at the beginning of the month to learn what memoir Meredith and I are reading and why we're excited about it. All you have to do is listen along with us and stay tuned for a new podcast episode wherever you found us at the end of each month, where we'll be having an in-depth discussion of our pick. This month, we're discussing More Myself by Alicia Keys. a lot of uh, Architectural Digest, AD for short, because I don't want to say, say Architectural <laughs> Digest again, home tours recently. I think yeah. I sent you one, the Alicia Keys home tour. Uh, yeah, I am a huge fan of AD home tours, have been for a while. Um, I actually would say that part of why I'm a fan of them is because I think a lot of celebrity homes are not that great. Um, oh. And I like to look at the tours and be like, mm, I would have spent my money differently. But I thought that the Alicia Keys home tour was actually pretty lovely. Um, and I think felt a lot more lived in, I would say, than a lot uh, of yes. the celebrity home tours that, that you get on AD where the houses might be like artistically interesting to look at, but they're very like immaculate and untouched or are very minimalist. And her home was felt really lived in and had so much like art and books. Um, you, you could like, you could just really see her like in that space, like living in a space. Yes, I completely agree. Uh, first to disclosure, we are not sponsored by AD. But so we were open to that. But we are open to that. So AD, Call if us. you're listening, <laughs> we're interested. Second, it's worth noting, and I think everyone who's listening at this point has already Googled Alicia Keys' AD home tour. But in case you haven't, it's worth noting that they live in the Iron Man house, as in the house they were thought would be good for someone who's a mega billionaire and like owns Stark Industries. They were like, this is the house that he should live in, is the house where Alicia Keys and her husband Swiss Beats live in. So that's a little bit of a frame of reference for you. Yeah, I think that it's actually kind of hilarious that it's the Iron Man house because I would associate that house with like really like sleek, kind of like annoyingly modern, kind of exactly what I'm talking about when I'm saying like doesn't look livable. Right. Um, and their house had like a softness and a warmth and like a calm energy um, and just more of like human touches, I thought, than anything that you would associate with a superhero, like billionaire playboy yes. pad. 
Yeah, there was no Iron Man suits anywhere to be found. Well, let's get in, let's get into Alicia Keys a little bit, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> um, I my frame of reference for Alicia Keys before reading more myself was primarily and maybe obviously through the lens of her music, particularly through her major hits, Empire State of Mind, Fallen. Uh, what's that one? It's like, what's that one? Mm, I feel like I'm going to need a better rendition, Kelly. <laughs> I thought I just nailed I That that was like <laughs> listening to Alicia. Oh, if uh, were you doing If I Ain't Got You? If I Ain't Got You, yes. I don't know why I forgot that. I yeah, just yeah, listened yeah. to this book. But, but you were saying some people want it all. That's what some you were saying. Some people want it all. Yeah, got yeah. it, got it. Yeah. That's um, a great one. <laughs> it's a really good one. It's a great song. She does it better if you haven't heard it. Don't let that turn you off <laughs> from listening to that song. Really fascinating to take a look, a deep dive into her life, to hear her life in her own words. I want to start with, what did you think? What were your impressions of this? Maybe, what Meredith, what did you what did you take away? Yeah. So I didn't really know much about Alicia Keys. Um, I went in with very little expectations, I would say. Like, I'm familiar with her in the sense that she's a massively popular icon, really, whose work was in the background of my adolescence a lot, um, but not necessarily someone I was seeking out independently. Um, So, like, to me, I would say the difference between the type of artist that you hear if you listen to the radio a lot versus uh, Mm. an artist that you, like, go out and buy the album and have, like, an intimate relationship with them. Yeah. And I feel like the sort of first thing that struck me is that the listening experience is so lovely. Um, She has this, like, gorgeous, gorgeous voice, even when she's not singing. So the narration is really warm and welcoming and soothing. And she's kind of mellow, but she has these moments of animation where she gets really excited or she's being funny. Mm -hmm, They kind of change mm -hmm. the cadence. Plus she actually sings a few times, which is great. Um, Yeah. So I think that this book is like 100% served by the audio format. Um, I think she could be like reading a refrigerator manual and still make it interesting. But like, I mean, luckily, which is one of the better chapters in the book, actually, when she, yeah, when she pulls out the the fridge manuals, like, and then I had to fix my fridge. Um, but yeah, luckily her life is a lot, like a thousand times more interesting, um, than a refrigerator manual. And I feel like I really came away like, I guess instead of having like my conceptions changed per se, I more like expanded my understanding of who she is as a person mm. and an artist. And I feel like I came away with a deeper respect for her work and her determination and her drive. Yeah, I, I felt the same way. I think before listening to more myself, I would have associated Alicia primarily with her music, especially her hits. And then Secondly, some major pop culture watershed moments, like, for instance, when she wrote this essentially manifesto of why she doesn't want to wear makeup anymore, or mm-hmm. at least much less than she was before, which is really powerful and made a lot of waves in Hollywood and beyond. Or when she hosted the Grammys, which was, and I think still is my favorite Grammys host job I've ever seen. Uh, particularly, yeah, well, particularly when she's doing, and we can talk about this later, 
playing two pianos at the same time, which as a novice piano player myself can affirm is very challenging to do. Uh, and Pretty here first. <laughs> that's a hot take from me. And to get more of the backstory, particularly the depth around her pilgrimages like to Egypt, going to this Kudalini retreat in Joshua Tree. It could have easily been a celebrity memoir where it was like, I had to find myself through these challenges. And then I like either brokered this deal or had a friend tell me this, this or this. Mm-hmm. She was actually going to whatever length she needed to go to in order to uncover herself more and more and feel confident in that. And she's lucky that she does have the means to go on these excursions. But at the same time, I largely credit her for going through that actual work of self-realization, even if it hurt her career at different points. A defining experience of my childhood began with a simple question. Got room for a piano? It was spring of 1987, and my mother and I were visiting our neighbors in the Ninth Avenue building of Manhattan Plaza. While I was playing with my friend, our mothers caught up. My friend's mom mentioned that her family would be moving soon. Her husband, a musician and piano tuner, had an extra piano. That's when she asked my mother the question that would alter my path. Did we have space for an upright? Let's start at the beginning. As all all good good stories (laughs) do. So Alicia's childhood, what what sticks out to you here? Yeah, I'm glad we're starting here because I have so many thoughts. Um, oh, great. I think that I, not all memoirs really like linger on childhood. And even those that do, I think sometimes feel like they're doing so really like perfunctorily, like out of posterity. Um, but I felt that her childhood was actually really, really formative for her. Mm -hmm. And you can trace a lot of the threads of her life back to her upbringing. Um, I think that plays out like in her spiritual and emotional development, which is hugely important to her, a huge theme of the book, um, but also in her professional journey. So I think like you see patterns play out with her, like from a young age, like her mother can be kind of combative. Her father is withdrawn from her life. And I think that all impacts the way that she relates to the world. So like a core piece of this book is Alicia attempting to better articulate her own desires and like find more harmony between her interior self and the one that she's sort of presenting to the world. And I think that's Mm. completely inseparable from the way that she relates to her mother, who is like a very loving figure, but also very strict and very self-assured and who can sort of like run circles around a young Alicia when it comes mm-hmm. to like arguing, basically. Um, she's sort of like, I never like got anything over my mom. Like they have arguments where it just, I think Alicia just sort of shuts down. And I think she, at some point she says like it would, it's unpredictable to her whether or not she's going to get her mom as like the nurturer or the interrogator. And I yeah. think that that response that she has is just to like rely on secrecy and draw inward, which is then something that she is like struggling to undo later in life. And then I mm. think with her dad, he's sort of this unpredictable presence who at some point 
is like basically completely withdraws from her life. She writes him a letter and she's like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And he's just sort of like, okay. Instead of being like, wait, no, you're my daughter. Let's keep talking. He's just sort of like, okay, sounds good. And so she's, yeah, she's sort of deprived of a form of fatherly love that I think ends up being a really big factor into her relationship with Carrie, who, I mean, that's like a whole other can of worms. I found their age gap to be like incredibly troubling despite her attempts to downplay it uh, multiple times. But in any case, I think he's a really big part of her world, um, both in like developing her ideas of what a relationship is supposed to look like, but also in developing her sensibility as an artist. And I think that like part of why he slots into her life the way he does is that she is like craving a strong male presence because her dad Mm. has essentially abandoned her. Um, And I think she even says at some point, like one of the things that draws her to Carrie is how attentive he is as a father to his own son, Um, which is like a lot to unpack there. Um, but to me, it's like these two core relationships in her life with her mom and her dad, uh, really inform the way that she relates to the world in a huge way. I mean, as they do in most people's lives. Yeah. I think there's a line at the, towards the very end of the book where Alicia is essentially coming to this realization that it is the maternal and uh, paternal relationships that are really the most foundational. She's uncovering this fundamental truth that she can't really escape from. Like those circumstances that I grew up in have shaped my entire identity. That coupled with the fact that she's, you know, at her most formative years being thrust into an international spotlight. Mm -hmm. I guess that almost adds more uh, impressiveness to how far she's come, given that in some ways she was almost on the child star career plummeting path of life where you're forced into a position where that your own psychological development has not yet arrived at. Right. Right. And I think you, you know, slightly related to the child star thing, like you have her music career, which is completely wrapped up in her childhood. Like in, I think we were talking about how in Hollywood park, it was not at all obvious that Mikkel was going to become a successful musician. Mm -hmm. Um, And with Alicia, it's the polar opposite. Like most kids have big dreams. Like a lot of kids have artistic dreams specifically, but she was actually like getting after it at a very young age. She's playing piano at at age six. She starts doing classical music, like not long after that. She goes to a performing arts school when she's like a tween. Um, She forms- Valedictorian there. Yeah, she forms this girl group at like 12 or 13 and is basically like discovered at age 13, not like in a way where she signs a deal, but someone notices her essentially. And and from there, she begins getting really significant exposure to the industry. And she basically comes of age. She comes of age in the industry, and I think her childhood is sort of like cut short in a sense and is overtaken by her career. And I think you're right that with a lot of people who that happens to, they are damaged like irrevocably by that like severing of of childhood. And she seems like pretty level headed and grounded about it um, mm-hmm. and ends up like, you know, on this 
journey and maybe that's like why it's like slightly delayed for her like all of her self-actualization work happens like much later or like the really like active parts of it um and like maybe that's why but I still think she's in like a, a pretty good place mentally for like how young she was when she started getting exposure to like what it means to be a working artist um, and like found fame also at a at a very young age. I think she's like, what, like 19, 20, maybe younger. Yeah. I can't quite remember. Yeah, I think Songs in A Minor comes out when she's around 20. And to your point, there isn't, there's a whole section on the challenges of her making her first album, but the challenge isn't necessarily does Alicia have talent at creating compelling, vibrant music. It's mm-hmm. more of the behind the scenes of the record industry, cl- trying to get out of a contract with Columbia Records while she's also attending Columbia, which as a side note, I don't know if this is true, but it's got to be the first person to have been signed by Columbia Records and attend Columbia yeah, University in the I same was- year, right? I was I had a note to talk about how it was like very funny and slightly confusing that she was studying at Columbia and also had to deal with Columbia where sometimes she would say Columbia and I was like which Columbia are you talking about right right what a what a good problem to have if you're Alicia Keys (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it sounded very stressful I uh do not envy someone in that position yeah but she has these moments along the journey of that album that could be life Life, once in a lifetime memories for almost anyone mm-hmm. else. She has to call and then meet and perform for Prince in order to get approval for a cover. Amazing. Uh, she performs for Oprah. The album goes number one. She performs at the Grammy, I think wins four Grammys at her first ever Grammys. And that's her, that's just all in the first album. It's, uh, it's incredible. Yeah. And it's a real whirlwind. Like it all happens so quickly. And I feel like what kind of stood out to me is that, like, as a reader, I was like, whoa, (laughs) what just happened? And she's, like, barely seems to be taking it all in. Like, she might have the occasional sidebar about, like, oh, you know, all of a sudden people recognize me in airports. That's weird. That was an adjustment. Um, But overall, I feel like she wasn't really lingering on the finer details there. Um, And you kind of touched on this already, but unlike a lot of other musician stories, this isn't really one of like trying and failing and trying and failing and then finally getting this big break, um, like proving to people that you have what it takes. Like for her, the big battle is finding the right label in like a bunch of options. Um, You know, there's the struggle for creative control going on behind closed doors at Columbia and then like the fight to get out of the contract and she finally ends up with Clive Davis, which is the right fit for her. Um, and he seems to like champion her work to the point where there really isn't a question of her success. Like he's going to secure it for her by positioning her correctly, getting her on the right stages. And that's exactly what happens. And I think you really get the sense, like, like how self-assured she is and how confident she is in her own success. Like she's been preparing for this her whole adolescent life. She talks about destiny a lot. And I think that Mm -hmm. she really believes that like this is what she was meant to do and that it was inevitable for her. And so it feels like I think that really informs the way that she talks about it. Yeah. And I think it really informs her perspective or lack thereof of what it's like to even be famous you would expect Mm -hmm. almost a whole chapter or longer on these types of first 
fame encounters the first time I got recognized out in the wild. And like you said, it, she alludes to it on a couple occasions, but those details are m- much more minor than compared to her takeaway from this initial great success is more of a spiritual question. Mm. Is this fulfilling? Is this who I'm meant to be? Why do I feel the way that I do about my art and the work that I'm putting out there and my responsibility? Mm-hmm. You start to see those elements that are much more prevalent later in in her life and in the book start to emerge even from her, a pretty young age. Someone who you wouldn't expect necessarily to have that much spiritual awareness where she's experienced so much material success already. Yeah. I think this, yeah, once again, kind of goes back to she just seems so grounded in in some ways. Like, I mean, it's funny that I'm saying this because I'm also saying like, oh, she's like she's being weird. Like, why isn't she freaking out more about fame, which is unrelatable (laughs) to me, I guess. But also I think she's just not easily distracted by a lot of things. Like, I think you hear a lot of stories about celebrities becoming celebrities and there's all this like all this like trappings and lifestyle that goes along with it that can be really detrimental to their mental health you know there's like partying there's a lot of excess and it just seems like she didn't really struggle with that like she didn't get pulled into a scene that was like unhealthy for her essentially um Mm. which feels kind of rare it does feel rare and i think this is something I wanted to talk about because it stood out to me, I think, for very similar reasons. There's a section in one of the early chapters around, I forget which high-end luxury brand store her and one of her best friends are in. And this is after her the success of her first album where she has, understandably, a significant amount more capital in her, mm-hmm. in her back pocket than she did beforehand. And... She's struggling to justify spending, you know, over $3,000 on uh, accessories, jewelry, clothes, etc. And she reframes it eventually as a sort of energy exchange where money is another way to be compensated for the energy that you're putting out into the world. And or almost more of this esoteric perspective on on fame. I'm curious... Mm -hmm. As much as I wanted to resonate with that, and I, I, I understand where she's coming from, it also is a little. It feels like potentially easier to say when you're bringing in a fair amount of money around yeah. that. I felt similarly. I, I think this was like a, I was like, hmm, that's an interesting idea, um, and it felt very much steeped in her. She has like a pretty strong belief in the law of attraction, which is like not something that I really buy into. I think that personally I was like pretty skeptical of her arguments and I think it's like not the best idea to frame money as some sort of spiritual reward for like working hard at your passions especially because some people have like absolutely no interest in monetizing what they're passionate about not to mention Mm. like obviously the fact that this ideology kind of distills wealth inequality down to like a lack of effort or simply like having the wrong mindset which is a really dangerous like path to go down. Yes. But that being said, I do like sympathize with her impulse to reframe her own wealth in a way that feels more palatable to her. I think for a lot of people who grow up without a lot of money, coming into this kind of extreme wealth takes a complete shift in mindset. 
Um, like she talks about her having a scarcity mentality, even when she was making like billions of dollars, because that's Mm -hmm. not something that you can like really shake very easily. Um, and I think there are definitely some feelings of like guilt wrapped up in that as well. So ultimately, like, even if I didn't agree with her explanation, uh, I understand why she would be like drawn to, to rationalizing it that way, um, especially because it like draws from some spiritual beliefs that were already forming for her. Yeah. And to her credit, while some of the experiences that are only possible through having access to a significant amount of money, for instance, I think Swizz Beats, one, one of the first times they ever hang out, he like flies in a bunch of Erte art Mm-hmm. Uh, into a warehouse for a surprise art like a basically a personal art gallery for alicia yeah. and then a private romantic dinner which sounds great i mean that sounds i mean that would have worked for me uh i would have been convinced but mm-hmm. also not very accessible to a lot of other <laughs> individuals on this planet and at the same time it's it doesn't feel unnecessarily frivolous and it's also not the case that alicia isn't seemingly a great steward of her wealth and her activism and philanthropic work she seems deeply invested in and she also seems deeply invested in using her wealth for good even if it also means she lives in the iron man house (laughs) as well yeah i mean i i can forgive someone for choosing to live in the iron man house it's pretty nice yeah um (laughs) But yeah, you're right. She she talks about like spending her own currency, like spending her capital. I think she means that like slightly literally, but also just in the sense that like she has a lot of power um, and access. And I think that probably factors into the exchange for her, right? Like she puts a lot of passion into her work. So to her, that means she's like rewarded with like tangible you know, monetary success. And then she uses that success to like, she spends that success back basically um, on like her activism and her charity work. Fame, it has been said, is a trip, but it's a journey worth taking if its ultimate destination is service. This spotlight of fame is about more than me and my music. It is also about using the megaphone I've been handed to advocate with everything in me for the voiceless. We get different chronicles of essentially her number one single on each of her major albums throughout the book. Mm -hmm. And one thing I was pleasantly surprised by was that for like Empire State of Mind or Fallen or for Girl on Fire, these songs really seem to come from a pretty personal place. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it almost feels uh, contradictory. Like you would expect if it's going to be a massive pop hit, it's got to be like applicable to the lowest common denominator. Like all of our experiences have to apply. And that's why it's popular because I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. But I, thought it was really fascinating to hear the backstory behind a a lot of her hit songs and that they really were representative of where she was in life at those points. Did you have a similar reaction? Yeah, I did. Her songwriting processes feels so related to 
this sort of emotional journey that she's going on throughout the entire book because she has this cycle of like kind of bottling her feelings up withholding them and then this sort of release right where she just like kind of lets it all pour out on the page and makes beautiful art out of it which is very nice for her that that's how her like emotional release comes through um I also just like liked getting perspectives from other artists like I loved when like Jay-Z hopped on and he like I talked know. about her state of mind that was so fun I think this is like probably the kind of thing that a lot of the fans like want right they want to just like hear Alicia Keys talking about making hit songs with really famous people I think it was a great time on like a much more shallow note, like I, I just like love celebrity gossip. I love celebrity anecdotes. So like this is kind of like a really fun place for me. Um, <laughs> I wish she had talked about the song "My Boo" with Usher because that was a really big one for moi personally. I was talking um, about this with my wife, and I think <laughs> this was, in terms of glaring holes in Alicia's yeah. spiritual journey number one right there yeah like I needed to know I needed to know all the all the deeds um and I didn't get a single deed about the making of the classic the masterpiece really my boo um I do think it's funny that you were like earlier saying like oh yeah all of these hits like they're you know huge hits but they're so personal (laughs) whereas like my boo is like about nothing (laughs) at all (laughs) yeah that's and that may be the reason we didn't. That might be why. She, yeah, maybe that's why she didn't talk about it. But whatever. Well, this is you hint at another part of this audiobook experience that's very unique, and that's the cameos. Mm-hmm. I mean, she Great has. Ones. We're talking Bono, who makes multiple appearances. Mm-hmm. Also, Bono, where's your? memoir i want to hear you i could listen to him narrate almost we're waiting (laughs) uh you get michelle obama michelle obama who calls her sis casually yeah like her and michelle obama are like friends like actual i mean her and bono too like these people are her actual friends they're not just like colleagues who she's like will you do me a favor unreal uh oprah Mm-hmm. Uh, Another on, friend who she just yeah. like goes to dinner at her house. And it's not like she's calling in favors. She was probably hanging mm-hmm. out at their house and was and like, she's like, oh, by the way, can we pop into the can, Oprah? Can we pop into your at home recording studio real quick to yes. do a little, a little ditty for my, <laughs> for my, <laughs> my audio book. <laughs> As I've spent time with her over the years, I realize she's also a solitary person. And I think it's from that well of solitude, the quiet part of her soul, that the songs arise. She relished that stillness during her time in Egypt. She was keen to discover the country's richness, but that trip became a critical moment for her for lots of reasons. And crystallized so much for her she's always had a royal sense about her Um, I think she returned home from Egypt with a deeper connection to herself her value her artistry and her ancestry in the description for this book the core theme is distilled as 
a growth from self-censorship to full expression is how Alicia describes it. I'm curious for you, how did you see that emerging throughout the audiobook? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is another this is another meaty one, I would say, um, because yeah, I agree. Like it definitely is the core theme. I think the opening scene even is a photo shoot where she's very young, newly famous, and kind of taken advantage of in a way that really sticks with her. And that anecdote, like right off the bat, feels like a jumping off point for her to discuss what she keeps coming back to time and time again, which is this tension between her desire to not feel overly exposed, which is understandable, but also her desire to like claim her voice and her power and be more authentically herself instead of hiding who she is. She talks a lot about like learning to even, even simply just like live for herself and own her own wants and desires instead of like letting them be subsumed by, by other people. And I think that you see that at most junctures in her life. I think that something that struck me is that her growth feels like pretty linear. Um, Like Mm. she takes baby steps with her mom. She finds ways to kind of like rebel at home first and then gains a sort of form of independence when she moves out. Um, Then you see her decision to like fight against Columbia Records for like literally for more expression because mm-hmm. they're not allowing her to be herself and like to represent herself the way she wants to. And she eventually disentangles herself from them, which I think is a really, really big moment for her. But even then it's just like one more step because she continues blip, to, yeah. yeah, she continues to just like grapple with this over and over again. You know, she has this, these moments of burnout where she like, like before she goes to Egypt, she's basically in a place where she's like, I need to completely take a step back for my life or mostly because it's like not 100% the life that she wants to be living. And it, she feels like it's incompatible with her emotional needs in some way. So she's just kind of like always like interrogating this and investigating this and just like getting closer and closer to, to her goal. Um, like when she starts her relationship with Swiss beats, I think she, she feels like really safe and comfortable with him and he encourages her in a way that she finds empowering. And then like later with motherhood, I feel like she comes into her own even more. It just feels very linear. It makes like a lot of like narrative sense, but I don't know. How did you feel about that journey? Like were there moments that felt especially poignant to you like on that path? Yeah, I think I completely agree about the linear nature of, her growth at least and how it's essentially written down or recorded by her own voice i do wonder how much of that is the need for a celebrity at her level of visibility to create a cleaner mm-hmm. picture of things when mm-hmm. the real or raw is truth of some of these circumstances maybe tell a little bit more of a complicated story but that aside I think the moments that really stuck out to me were the several times in her life where she's taken a step outside of her life, essentially. And when she goes to Egypt and wants to float down the Nile, when she goes to a Kudalini retreat in Joshua Tree, and these moments where I think I actually see those moments as taking the most courage because Mm -hmm. they required her to do things that would either disappoint 
or separate herself from others in order to find out more of who she was. Mm -hmm. And I think when you see the end result of these moments, which is, for instance, the no makeup campaign, which I don't think has a name and it isn't really an explicit campaign. And I know she even regrets what she says in the book. I regret saying, I hope to God it starts a revolution. She would have clarified for her own personal Mm -hmm. revolution. But you see these steps in her life as not really a PR move and very much born out of her own spiritual place. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was particularly compelling. And I think even inspiring for some of us who are not uh, piano prodigies who uh, (laughs) have redefined musical genres. Speak for yourself, Caleb. (laughs) I mean, I've only won a couple of Grammys, but not, but not 15. Um, I was very bad at the piano (laughs) in case you're wondering. I was curious. Well, another side note from the AD, uh, home tour is that the piano she has in the Ironman house is the same piano that she negotiated as part of her first record deal with Columbia, which is a very pivotal and special thing. Yeah. And I I did appreciate, yeah, exactly. But I do appreciate that about Alicia is that she really is a true musician in the sense that Mm -hmm. she returns to music in times of need, in times of like wanting to express herself and her and really Swizz as well are both visionaries on on that front. And I thought, yes, it may be a little easy to roll your eyes at some of the exorbitant experiences they've had privilege to have because of their wealth. But at the same time, I couldn't help but leave reading the audiobook inspired to like find myself a little bit more or Mm -hmm. like go into my own spiritual journey where necessary. Mm -hmm. And because you see that how that has impacted Alicia and yes, it's special how it's impacted her, but I think it was, it was really compelling. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm, I'm kind of interested in you bringing up though, this question of like, I, you know, it feeling orderly because this is, you know, a memoir, um, that was like written in a very organized way. Um, and I wonder, yeah, I wonder if there were things going on, but I mean, this is like, pure speculation all we can do is speculate but I do think it is like so if if there if she is being like as candid as possible and there weren't like other like messy things happening that were causing her to be unhappy I feel like this is once again speaking to just like how grounded she seems and like Mm. how like determined she is to like get her mind right essentially like she like before she goes to Egypt for me, I was just like, oh, well, she's just like overworked. Like, you know what I mean? It was like, oh, she's like burnt out, which is like different to me than like not being like spiritually aligned or whatever. Um, But that's not how she characterizes it. You know, she's like, I needed to like work on myself. Like I could tell that there was like something wrong and like I was not like self-actualized enough, which is not how I am in my day-to-day life. You know what I mean? I think I, I normally look at like external factors, not like internal ones. Like if I'm feeling really stressed out, I'm like, oh, well there's, I have a lot going on right now. And I think instead of, I think that's like the easy thing to do. And instead of doing that, she is continually like, well, maybe I have a lot going on, but there's something else going on internally that I need to fix. Yes. I think this is, that's a really good point. And I think it's, 
also part of the reason why listening to this audiobook, yes, she has a great voice and it's really compelling and soothing to listen to her tell her story. But at the same time, her presence really is infectious. And Mm -hmm. even the home tour we were talking about, her other appearances, her hosting the Grammys, a lot of the takeaways from those moments are that people are drawn to Alicia Keys. Yeah. And for good reason, because she has a presence and an aura about her that radiates self-compassion, but knowing your self-worth. And like you've said, this groundedness that I think a lot of us aspire to and is all the more remarkable for her her having achieved it on the biggest of stages with Mm -hmm. uh, the amount of external pressures on her, where it would be so easy for someone like her to just focus on these external pressures and maximizing her wealth or maximizing her influence or her legacy. And all that just seems to come more naturally to her and in what I guess looking back you're like oh it's pretty linear of her of her life story but part of that I think like you said is just because she's always ready for the next step but even as I lift my life to the next level I hope to always recognize my reflection I want to know who I am and accept every part of that identity Okay, so my last question to you, Meredith, is how did listening to this book change your previously held conceptions of who Alicia Keys is and her presence in the world? Yeah, so I really do feel like I didn't have, like, it's less that I had, like, previously held conceptions of her and more that I just feel like I didn't really know anything about her. Um I think I would only, similarly to you, I think I would really just associate her with her music, which I, like, liked, but wasn't ever, like, listening to so much that I was like, let me Google Alicia Keys, let me follow her on Instagram, let me see what's Mm -hmm. going on in her world. Um, That's just, like, not how I interacted with her. And I think reading her memoir and listening to it has really just like given me a lot more insight into, into who she is. I I really just was so struck over and over again by how self-assured she is, how determined she is. And even like, you know, she is grappling. She's in the industry from such a young age. There are moments where she's questioning herself. It's not like she constantly is like, I know the answer. I'm so Mm -hmm. confident 100%. This is who I am. But even when she is struggling, like she still just has this this sense of like clarity and focus around like what she wants and what she believes she's meant to do, which is to create music. And she's obviously really, really good at it. But, you know, a lot of people are really talented and she's like much more than talented. She's also like so driven and so focused. And I think I just came away with like a greater respect for that. Mm. Yeah, I feel the same way. I was listening to a couple of her performances that I'd remembered. I think I'd mentioned it. I've mentioned it a couple times, but the the Grammys performance at where she plays two pianos, and there's this performance I remember watching. I think when I was even in high school, of which I didn't appreciate the context for, but this the Alicia uh, 
Times Square event that she gets to host. Mm-hmm. Um, where all of Times Square is shut down. It just says Alicia here. It, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, to be at that level of yeah. uh, performing excellence and fame. But there's in rewatching these clips after listening to more myself, I found that it resonated even more with them. Whereas previously, I would have appreciated the musicality and the soulfulness and really just the fun of having Alicia Keys, John Mayer, and Questlove all performing together in Times Square. Mm-hmm. But in listening to them again after the book, I was chills, like full body chills the mm-hmm. whole time because I could understand even more of where these songs were coming from and these performances were coming from for Alicia. And it's something that is true early on in the book, even Clive, when he's first promoting Alicia's album, knows that if he can get her in front of an audience, that'll do mm-hmm. all the work because right. when you see Alicia Keys perform, you're just drawn in mm-hmm. and I'm thankful that she wrote this and that we get to hear it because I feel like I'm going to be more proactively seeking out the work that she's doing, not just musically, but out in the world because I respect it even more. I can appreciate how hard fought those like personal development and spiritual evolution has been for her. And, it helps me even enjoy her music a bit more. Yeah. Even with this memoir, she's like drawing people in even more, really. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Thanks so much for listening to In Their Voice. If you enjoyed this conversation, follow our book club at chirpbooks.com slash in their voice, where we'll be posting new book club picks and conversations every month. And if you want to learn more about chirp book clubs, go to chirpbooks.com slash book clubs.